welcome to another episode of A Big Soul Podcast. <clears throat> this one is a little unusual. I am sitting in a bar in Stockholm, Sweden, and speaking with Swedish author and journalist Sanna Björling. And this is obviously far from Big Sur. And as we have said, A Big Sur Podcast is free to roam, which we are doing this time. Sana recently worked as a correspondent in Washington, D.C. for Dagens Nyheter, the largest Swedish daily newspaper. So we talk, uh, we have a wonderful conversation about her personal and professional life as a foreign correspondent. We talk about the changing media landscape, immigration, politics in the United States, and much more. And the two books that Sana has authored and that are mentioned in our discussion Neither of those books have been translated yet, but they are, uh, number one, all that we have in common, which in Swedish is allt vi har gemensamt. And the other book is, uh, is co-authored with Frida Stranne, and that book is titled Superpower. Um, Sanna is married to my second cousin, Olof Thurien, in Sweden. Uh, I hope you will enjoy joining us for part of our conversation. Into the microphone that you and I are sitting on this kind of rather uh, comfortable, voluptuous red couch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with <laughs> our feet in the air with no shoes on in this bar. <laughs> no shoes on, right. What did your girls think about America and what did Olaf, your husband, say about America and the experience over there? What was the verdict? Fam I think family they, verdict. Family verdict. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, the girls, if we... I think that the, the short answer is that if they had the chance to go back, they would pack their bags tonight. You mean move there? Move there. That's how much they loved it. Yes. Uh. I think when we moved back, I don't think until we moved back, I realized how rooted we had become. Like how... We went there, and, and I think we went there with our hearts, and we said, well, let's make this an adventure, and let's make this a, a, a great time. And I really wanted to be, to try to understand where we lived, and to try to, I was very curious about America, like, what is this? Try to understand what type of country it is. And I, I started to feel that I, I had just I had just started when we, it was time to move back. Mm -hmm. And I think I You felt I, you had cotton somewhere. Yeah, just, I, yeah. yeah, but I was just getting started and I just yeah. kinda it's of course it takes a lifetime to to get to know your own country. Right. Uh, and to get to, to come to, to a new place was just fantastic, I think. And and I don't think and this was interesting that not until we left Well, I, I really understood that the friends I had made there, they were very close friends, really. Mm. Um, and I missed them um, almost every day. And I what struck me then is something that I always had in me there from that trip was that how extremely beautiful it is and the landscape and how you think, as even a teenager, I was 20 You think yet you know something about the U.S. because you've seen so many films and you know so much music and yeah. whatever. And then you come there and you're just struck by how large it is. Right. And how 
extraordinary the landscape is and how varied it is. Yeah. Which way did you and when someone in the elevator in DC somewhere asked you, what kind of a paper is that? What would you have said to an American? I would say that it's the leading Swedish morning newspaper. Though it's a little bit, um, of course, our newsroom is much smaller than the New York Times' newsroom, but it's, it's, um, it's one of, of very few national newspapers that claim to be national newspapers, morning newspapers. Um, and it has the editorial pages um, centered liberal, I'd say. Mm -hmm. So it's, so it's you, you sometimes would say that it's the equivalent of the Swedish, or it's sort of similar to the Swedish New York Times, in a sense. Well, in, yeah. in a sense, yeah. yes. Right, right. So, in, in, and, and when you then, in, in that environment where you talk with people who are culturally engaged and are readers and participate in, in, in both politics and culture, what, talk a little bit about the prejudices that they would have regarding Sweden. Culturally, inter like people who read a lot, academics. Yeah, let's say. Yes. I mean, you know, okay. they're of course yes. a, such a cross section. I mean, yes. America's a big place, but you know. If you talk to like high, higher educated people about Sweden, they know um, some of them have been there, uh -huh. of course. Uh, yeah. uh, Scandinavia has become a country <laughs> where Americans go on oh, holidays. Yeah. And they often know about Swedish, well, gender equality and climate politics, and um, they know about uh, the social democratic uh, culture here. Um, And they know, of course, about the debate uh, on immigration that um, that happened after the 2015 wave of migrants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's what you would always hear from from people who consume more right-wing media. Mm -hmm, after mm -hmm. that happened, um, maybe you will come to this, but after yeah. that happened, and Trump on the campaign trail did the famous speech about did you hear what happened in Sweden last night right, from the stage right. that totally changed something and you would hear that all the time and uh, as soon as you would walk up to someone or try to talk to someone in, in my journalism role or any role really uh, they would say oh are you from Sweden oh do you have any culture left Sweden. who would believe this Sweden they took in large numbers they're having problems like they never thought possible Are you, are you still, how, I heard you, you know, are, how, how is it with all the immigrants? And they would almost think that we impose Sharia laws or something. Right. Um, so you would hear that all the time. What did you, what did you respond? Uh, well, I said, yeah, sure, why do you ask a question or something? Yeah. And to kind of hear more from their perspective what they, because I would be curious, as a journalist, I always want to return I want, I want to be the, the one asking the questions because <laughs> right, right. I'm curious about what people would say. And I would maybe we would ask them where they got their information. And then if they started talking and, and if they said something about the sources or what inform, whatever information they had, I would try to be honest too and say that there was... I mean, obviously I lived in the US when that wave came and there was a big crisis in all of Europe. And I think it's... Uh, I would of course say that it's, it poses also a big challenge on, on taking in a lot of people in a, in a small amount of time, but that it was not, it's not that the, the whole of Sweden society fell apart. Yeah, I experienced that myself. Uh, 
of course, when yeah. that happened. Yeah, I mean, because yes. it became a headline almost, mm. or a meme online about Very the, much so. yeah, the Swedish. What did you respond? Uh, I, that I didn't, force, first of all, I didn't know, but I did, I did respond maybe with the story of how my friends at home in Sweden, where, that I'm in touch with, um, would, in, in some cases, say the same thing you did, that it, using the word, the word challenge, I think everybody recognized that uh, the goodwill, good intentions, uh, made the door open up too wide. Um, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. The discussion is always regarding how it is that we are able to, in Sweden, finance and take care of the, the, the all these all the people that are coming in with, you know, with educational differences, with mm. cultural differences, with uh, you know, health differences, and all of that, which adds to the to the cost. And then, of course, the other thing is that always comes up is the political ramifications of these things happening, which in a political spectrum usually uh, usually is talked about in a right-left spectrum, and, they, and these things tend to then, like in other places in Europe, uh, veer the politics in a right way, in a right yes. direction. It has here. And it yes. has here, yeah. 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 Well, you know, and then I'd like to ask you, what, what is the, the right-leaning or the right direction of politics in Sweden? Um, talk about that. What has happened? Since well, since, since the, the last few years, for instance, yeah, the, the immigration scenario I, I think has driven a lot of that. It has definitely driven a lot of that, and I think what happened after the there was there is a general election coming up in September, and the last one was four years ago in 2018, and that election actually changed the Swedish political landscape mm -hmm. um, in a way that I think uh, is fundamental, really, and it all. It goes back to to migration policies, and it goes back to the Sweden Democrats, which is the the right wing, the very right wing um, party in parliament in Sweden, mm -hmm. and their growth. Mm -hmm. And I think, of course, there they did a better election 2018 than they would have without the the crisis in 2015. And what what happened after 2018 was that. The situation in Parliament, this was predicted, by the way, before the election. There was so much speculation on, on what would happen after the election. So the, it was, the parliamentary situation made it extremely hard to form a government. So it took, I can't remember now, it took like three months, mm. more than 100 days. Right. Um, and eventually we ended up with a small and minority government with uh, the, the Social Democrats and the, and the Green Party together. But it became very hard for them to to get their politics through right. Parliament. But here we have like seven parties in right. Parliament, right. so many of them small, and none is big enough to... The Social Democrats in Sweden are strong in comparison to many other European countries where Social Democrats have have gone down in the polls, mm -hmm. but they're still, they're still much, much smaller than they was in, in the big days for all Social Democrats. Mm -hmm. But we have clear clear kind of left and right blocks in Sweden. So you have on the on the left side, you have the, the left party, which is the former communist party, uh, and then the social democrats, and then the green party. And on the other side, if we begin from the center, there's the center party, a liberal party, uh, the conservatives, the Christian conservatives, and the Sweden democrats. And the big debate on the right-hand side has been if you can accept the support from the Sweden Democrats or if you say no to them 
um, right. as, right. as a principle, mm. but nobody really knows who will make it and who won't. So it's a, it's a very interesting time in Swedish politics. But it, as you say, it has to do in the uh, it, uh, at the very beginning. It has to do with how do you handle the extreme right, mm -hmm. and the extreme right has grown because of their emphasis on migration policy. Right, right. And all the other parties, I would say, have drifted to the right. And it, it, when you say the extreme right in the, in the Swedish context, what are they all about, those people? The, the Sweden Democrats, which is the biggest extreme right party, mm -hmm. um, started as an, uh, really a neo-Nazi. They have their roots in, in neo-Nazism. So, so that's one of the, their history is one of the big reasons why they're why they why they're still kind of viewed as very as something else they're not uh, a party as the others but at the same time they've drifted they're not as extreme anymore they are they they portray themselves as a conservative party uh, critical to my uh, to immigration they um, and their, their leadership even though many especially the party leader uh, and some of his closest allies, they have been in that party active for a very long time, but they make very clear that they do not want to be connected with any types of, of Nazism, of right, course. So right. they portray themselves that, no, 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 we made up of that. Look at the old communists. They also have a, a, a troublesome history. Uh, we're not that type of party right now. What we do now, we can work with anyone. And that party leader is also very skilled. He's very... Um, he's a good negotiator. He's, he is... Um, he does. He comes out well in debates. I mean, his supporters. You can you can s tell why he has become popular, and he and the party is about as strong as the Conservative Party. Mm -hmm. They're um, almost the second. They're, they're the second yes, largest, right? Yes. Yeah. So the Conservative Party is this usually the second largest. You are now the foreign correspondent in Washington, D.C. Um, for the biggest Swedish daily newspaper. And I'm just wondering how some story about having an idea of being a journalist or a writer as a young person. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I always wanted to be a writer, I uh -huh, think. Yeah. Uh, well, I had a period of time when I was little, I, I wanted to be a farmer or, you know, because mm -hmm. I spent my summers in the countryside. Um, but I always, I've always written, um, and but I didn't know what I wanted to work with actually until I went to university and did political science. I grew up in, I moved a lot when I was little. Um, I was born in Uppsala, which is well, 45 minutes north of Stockholm. It's a university town, one of the biggest uh, universities in Sweden um, is located there. It was founded in 1477. <laughs> okay. <good. laughs> so it's pretty old. Still 500 years younger than, than the oldest university in Europe, in Bologna. Wow. Did your father have some, or mother have something to do with this, with the university there? Or? Yeah, my father was at the university. Okay. They, um, they separated when I was one. I always stayed in touch with my dad. He's still in Uppsala. Mm -hmm. I moved a lot when I was little. Um, to other towns where my mother worked as she's a librarian and then we came back to Uppsala when I was seven and was about to start school and so I went to school there I didn't go to the university in Uppsala because I felt that I had had enough of that town <laughs> I finished high school and I also finished high school a year late as I because I was an exchange student in Australia 
That's right. Yes. So I went to Australia when I was 17. I didn't want to go to America because I didn't like American. I didn't like the American accent. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I thought it sounded too, you know, I like the British accent. But, mm-hmm. but uh, that year was important to me, Yeah. Um, of course, and I write about it in my book. Um, in the in the one what we have in common, yes. the one, yeah. So what I did after I finished school, I did natu- the natural sciences in in high school, and then I traveled, I um, worked, and then I started studying. Okay, so so then you came back. You said you and you went to school. Uh, wh- where did you go to school for for? A- for, um, yes, I went to the Stockholm University. Stockholm, okay. So yes. you're I spent right here. A, I spent a. a maybe six, six to eight months in France doing like French for foreign students in Montpellier in southern, okay. southern France. Okay. And then I, uh, then I did political science at Stockholm University. Here in Stockholm. So that gives me, give me reason to ask you right now because I know that when we're talking now there's a bunch of noise in the background. Can you explain where we are? Who are these people that are making noise in the I, background? Well, we are at um, a bar. It's in a, in a hotel lobby. Mm-hmm. Called Rival at Maria Torrets in the southern part of the inner inner Stockholm. Uh, so we're very central in Stockholm, uh, and this bar belongs to a hotel that is owned by Benny Andersson, one of the ABBA. Oh no! They founded it, uh, made this hotel, and there is also a theater here. There are different bars and a restaurant. The name of the place, Rival, is also a very common um, cinema name. Right. Isn't it? So, so I, I guess it's been a movie theater. Theater, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. that's kind of what you can see here. And right. I think that's what they use as the stage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you would see, you can see performances here um, every now and then. Mm-hmm. If I sit here for a few hours, I might know someone. There are a lot of media people living around here, a lot of... Um, culturally active people. Uh, yeah, yes. this is known as Söder in yes. Stockholm. Yes, yeah, yeah. the South. So you went to Stockholm University. So back to the idea then that you you did political science. So the, the interest then started and you started working towards some idea of writing. Yes, yeah. so I started, um, I did political science, economic history, some macroeconomics. And then after that, I did one year of like a master in journalism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in Göteborg. Okay. Um, and then I did my internship at Dagens Nyheter. That was only a month, but uh, that's the way of... right there, sorry. Yes. Uh, when, you, when you did the, the, the uh, Masters in Gothenburg, how long was that program? A year. Okay. So did you learn then... <laughs> this is another... Oh, I'm laughing because I know it's such a broad, broad question, but did you learn what quote, good journalism is from that school? And what would that have been? I think I... That's a great question. I don't know if we ever discussed this in terms of good journalism or bad journalism. I think I had, as many young people, had some kind of idealistic picture of what I wanted to do or, uh, you know, I didn't want to be on the... do tabloid journalism or you know, the sleazy things or... Uh, I, you wanted either to have a big scoop or to do important things or save democracy or um, whatever. There, there, what we learned there was a lot of very practical stuff, like how do you write um, an introduction to peace or how do you make a headline? And this was, I remember one of our... So the craft, you mean? Yeah, so, very yeah. much, yeah, mm-hmm. the craft. One of the students... So this was in 90, 
eight. Um, so email, that's where I got my first email, by the way. <laughs> and one of the, the other students, her name, this is amazing actually, because her name was Monica Levinsky and she had the Hotmail address, monikalevinsky.com at hotmail.com and she had so many emails from people so she was first registering that name um, which was interesting and so I think it was a bit some of the the teachers at, at that school they were they were they weren't bad they were pretty good but they were also the older generation um, yeah but my prejudice would would be that in the 90s that the teacher at Gothenburg University would also have sort of a um, an agenda-driven journalism in the back of their minds. Agenda-driven meaning socialist kind of bent. And I, that, is that true? I think that was more the case uh, maybe 10 or 15 years before. So I think that that, that had already changed a little. Journalism in, in Sweden became professionalized during... If I ask... Or former all colleagues that have now retired, and they talk about how it was in the newsroom on the, in, in the 80s, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or 70s, 80s, even early 90s. They would talk about people, you know, all the, because of course everybody smoked, um, and <laughs> some people at the, the cultured section would start drinking red wine, and, and there would even be. You could even get a beer in, in the newsroom. You could buy them in the newsroom. Right. Uh, but that was also before my time. And, and, and it's, I think that had changed when I, when, even when I was a, a young journalist. And I wasn't all that young because I was probably 25 when I started. When I started the yeah. Mm -hmm. 20, so I wasn't that young. But I, um, of course, there, there's always been a complaint and, and a a view of Swedish journalists that they're very left-wing. And when they mm -hmm. do, mm -hmm. and I think that was the case, but if they, if you look at their reporting, you don't find that. You cannot say there's been academic research looking into how Swedish journalists and newsrooms report on mm -hmm. Swedish politics, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. When they do detailed, um, they mark details and of, of articles and... Um, Whatever, analysis analysis of, uh -huh. of whatever yeah. everything that is reported and they do find actually that it's more critical to the left than mm -hmm. to the right I think that has to some extent to do with the party in power if it's social democrats you're tougher against the party in power and you should be than the other party you try to be tough on all parties but you're definitely try to be toughest on, on the party in power so, yeah so fast forward now do you think now then that if you look at uh Dagens Nyheter, which is the name of the paper that of the paper that you've been working on or with for so long, do you think that the paper is doing a pretty good job in that regard today? Yes, I yeah. think they, I think that my colleagues, I don't belong to now the political section, but I've done politics at the paper. Yeah, um, and I think they really try to do their very best, mm -hmm. and I think they. Do a, a great job. I mean, one can always say that well, we should cover this, or we should cover that. Mm -hmm. But then the actual news reporting, I think, does it. They they're doing a great job. I think it's always up for debate what what we what we choose to focus on our longer feature stories. That's right. where the big choices are made, of course, because you can only do so many. Yep. And there's a lot of effort and time uh, into those stories. So of course. The choices become more important, but I mm -hmm. think 
there's um there is an ambition yeah there, there is too. definitely yeah. ambition an yeah. ambition to find the um, what what people are really what they something that people can identify with to try to be also the newspaper has now recently opened up newsrooms small newsrooms in in Malmö in the very south southern part of Sweden in Göteborg and also in in the northern part of Sweden which is the paper use has historically been quite cent- focused on Stockholm in Stockholm it's also a local newspaper so and with printing times if you if you live outside Stockholm you will get an edition that don't have the sports results so you don't have the what the exchange local stuff. Lo, no you right. don't you get you don't get the late news right. if you live outside Stockholm but with the internet and with digital subscriptions because we are a paid newspaper also by also digitally you can reach a much bigger audience they can they can feel um, they can get a, a good newspaper an updated newspaper wherever they are and so i think that they feel that there is a market for for finding new readers uh, in the whole part of sweden and right. to be va- to be to feel that they that these readers outside of stockholm also have something to to get from from dagens nyheter right. they also have to be good in the local they have to be to prove that they can deliver on the local on the mm-hmm. local field as well yeah, so yeah. that's why we have a, a number of reporters in Göteborg for example and i think that's a probably a smart move s- s- smart move also perhaps because i know i i i hear that these old legacy media has it they have a difficult time to to recruit the younger generation because the younger generation of course are first of all just going to do digital perhaps and then sort of enter into this extraordinarily fragmented media place we now have as opposed to when I certainly when I grew up when there were only X amount of choices so for the for your paper to reach out and and sort of meet that challenge this is one of the ways I presume yes I think yeah. so and I, but it is a big challenge I think to to find the young readers if you look at um, our subscribers for print they're yeah. they're the, the I mean, the ages are, are pretty high. Like yeah. print, that's sixty years and older. Almost. Well, probably yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and some some other people take. Well, you can you can have print on the weekends, Friday through Sunday, uh-huh. right. which right. is quite popular because yep. then when you have time, you maybe you, you like to read the print. But uh, we but I think the digital subscriptions. That's why why you try to get the young readers. But of course, competition is huge. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and it's hard. So so I think they're they're trying. But now also they can. They can follow very closely what articles people read, how long they read them, how when they read, what they choose, how much of the of each article they read, how long time they spend on them. So you can you like can actually track you can track yeah. them yeah. online yeah. in a very detailed way, in a way that you couldn't track. Right. I remember they they scanned people's eyes looking for at uh, the broadsheet paper, for example, mm-hmm. to see how the eyes where they would go first how long they stayed on different to see what people read first right and i think that's pretty interesting and i think i'm 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 almost 50 so i'm a print i love print mm-hmm. but I, even if i read i i often read the pdf mm-hmm. online so mm-hmm. i read the print paper but online but online so right. I, i look up the the pdf because yep. i can see The, the, sort, and, the layout yeah. and the sorting of news and and because if you read the, the the whole webpage you see the latest things is always on top right so you don't really see what how it, you value the news like yeah. what is more important and I also see if I read it that way I also get the news that I didn't know I wanted the mm-hmm. things that you would not get with algorithms mm-hmm. like, like I am 
I'm not one who follows the sports results very closely. But I, I mean, it's, that doesn't mean that I'm not interested in sports at all. But I need to get that through kind of going through the newspaper in a, in a more kind of traditional way. Uh, that's what I think is, is hard with, with algorithms overall and, and also with the newspaper when you kind of you can tag whatever to get news on a topic that you're interested in. That means that, that you miss news that you didn't even know you were interested in, but right. that you might yeah. like yeah. to read. Yeah. It's so a I challenge. There's another, there's another aspect to the current channel. You and I spoke the other day, briefly, when we met, <clears throat> and I mentioned this, this book that I had read in, in the U.S. by Batya Angar Sargon is her name. The title of that book is Bad News. And she talks about how, and which is something that you, I'm sure you already knew, I, and I kind of knew, I guess, but she brings it up in an interesting manner, which is that journalism itself has gone from being a working-class, middle-class kind of profession to now really almost exclusively being the purview of people such as yourself, you know, very well-educated um, from a, from a, from a you know, middle to upper-middle-class backgrounds. And, and in the United States, then, they would be from Ivy League schools and so on and live kind of in a, in a rarefied environment. And that that in and of itself has, has made the, the, those media organizations almost alienated from the, from the people of, of the country, let's say. Talk about that a little bit. Does that, that make sense to you? I think in the United States, everything is more extreme in the U.S. So I think we have some tendencies of that. Uh, I think it's what happens in Sweden. I'm not saying that I know the whole media landscape, but I think that a lot of journalism is is located in Stockholm, even if it's done like what makes the big news is in Stockholm. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's one of the things that we try to do, like recruit local people that has a local that had has that have local networks, and that know. To avoid kind of the whole helicopter perspective that you, you go somewhere and then you just, you're there for 24 hours and then you just leave. But that, it's, it's, it goes both ways because that means that we who are based in Stockholm, we more rarely get to go out mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. we have other people there in right, the local. So right, right. I love going out. That's the best part of my job. Lovely, right. If you ask me about what my, my career, I came to the newspaper pretty early in, in 2000. I had done uh, one about a year at uh, um, a magazine called Moderna Tider, which is, was a very intellectual magazine, led then by uh, Jöran Rosenberg, who, was a, who is a, a Swedish writer that has been translated into English, by the way. And then I came to, to Dagens Nyheter in 2000, and I, I, I belong to many, several different parts of the paper. That's the, the great thing with being in a big in a big newspaper the job I haven't done the same thing mm -hmm. I've done different things I've been at the financial section I went to the weekend magazine the supplementary magazine and did stories on Stockholm and Stockholm nightlife and I went to I was at the culture section for, for a few years and then and I think those things were part of why I became a correspondent because I, I was of course interested in politics at the, at the core but I, as a correspondent, you serve the whole paper. Right. You, you have to be able to do stories on everything, um, which is so. It wasn't great. just the political beat. Is so it wasn't no, no. It wasn't just that. Mm. I could do every, anything. Mm -hmm. well, and, you d and you did. <laughs> and I, and I no, tried to do. <laughs> yeah, but it was in. Yeah, so it was. But it was. I've, I've said this to many people, but I've never worked as as hard in my life and as much in my life as I did 
in the U.S., but I've yeah. never had as much fun at work either. So, R- so can you can you tell me <laughs> tell me how if you remember? I mean, you have a family as well. So, first of all, just briefly the the the, the spectacle of you getting this assignment to actually fly to the United States and move there to be the foreign correspondent, the foreign correspondent. What were those days like, the days of arriving? Maybe just some of the practical stuff that you went through. I think it's very important that you're, if you're married, I'm married to to your second cousin. Yeah, right. Which which is how we met each other in the yeah, first, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is great. Mm. I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Um, when when I applied, he knew, of course, that I I applied, and we had discussed that you know it was all an idea. Then that you know you'd never know if you get it or not. But we had said something that yeah, of course, if if we do, we'll we'll go, we'll do it. And I think that was crucial that we were both into that. We thought the idea was great, and then and then we have triplet girls who were six years old. They had just turned six when we moved, and they were ten when we moved back to Sweden. Mm-hmm. So when we moved, it's all, of course, it's terrible to to pack your belongings and to do all the practical stuff. It's just a nightmare. I hate yeah. it. I always say I'll never, ever again. Um, and But I went there before, a couple of weeks before, to kind of get Scout the... Out. Yeah, and get the... And get the house together. I knew where we were. We were going. I had. I had been there. We we just moved into the to the house that the the former the correspondent that I replaced had lived in. Mm-hmm. So it had it was furnished and everything. And I had been there to see that it could work for our family. And then I I went there. I think two weeks before the rest of the family came over um, to kind of set thing, things up and get a car and and start working. And then I remember when they arrived. And my and Ulla had my husband had had flown with the kids across the ocean alone with the three girls, and they had never been abroad, really? they had never been in an airplane, and then they did this massive trip, and I think they all had, they were so tired, they were exhausted, and they had I think they all had thrown up when they oh. arrived because they were so tired, and I had I remember I had bought new pajamas to them. Uh, you know, to be little mm-hmm. nice, mm-hmm. and they came and they just cried because they were so tired. And it was hot. this was in July, so it was hot and humid in DC. And they came and 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 I showed them the house, and I was so, so happy to see them. And they were just you know, they were crying. <laughs> and that, but that was a Friday that they arrived, mm-hmm. and then on the Monday morning they started first grade. So it must have been in August. Of, It was, uh, and then was that in? in and, I mean, and they did not speak English. They didn't speak English. Right. They had. They know. They knew how to say maybe hello and thank you and please. And we we went with them to to the schoolyard. I had I had met their teachers, so I was I was confident that I, I was confident that they would have a great time because Miss Barrows, their first grade teacher, she was the the sweetest, loveliest teacher you could ever have and she she had this the best smile and she was so nice to kids and she was a great teacher so we left them there at the school we went with them to the schoolyard and we dropped them off at 8 15 and we uh, and it was bye-bye and we picked them up at at 3 15 in the afternoon and they were all alone and they had never been abroad they couldn't 
didn't speak a word of English. They were all the three of them together. <laughs> and Ola was exhausted and jet lagged. And, uh, and we dropped them off and they said, okay, so what do we do now? <laughs> Let's go have coffee and wait. And we were probably more nervous than they were. <laughs> But you know, kids, they yes. adapt very, they, very quickly. And, and they, of course, few, had each other. I yes. Mean, the three of them, yeah. They had each other. Yeah. And they, in a few months, you know, they spoke English. And, and, and short, shortly afterwards, they would start correcting Ola and me when, right. <laughs> when we pronounced something but, but, incorrectly but or did how, how long how long did it take for them to actually speak English you know fluently let's say do you think I think maybe six months or yeah. maybe. you know and they were they were then slower than they would have been had 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 it just been one girl then she would have learned, learned English faster because they had th the three yeah, of them could maybe. speak yeah they could speak Swedish to each other and, and sort of get a little relief from yes, the... Yes, yeah. maybe. So, uh, when you came there then, and then you are uh, on location, did you have the, did you have the self-confidence enough to sort of be relaxed and, 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 and productive right away? I mean, was there a time of intimidation and worry? I can, I can only imagine. I was extremely nervous, of course. Yeah, you know, how yeah. could I... And you what never... You don't, yes, yeah. what am I doing here? What do I know about America? And and you don't get any time to, you know, to study or there's no extra time. You're just supposed to do your usual work and to organize the whole transfer of a whole family and changing countries with all that practical stuff yep. and then start working. So I think that is actually the best thing is to have an editor say to you, okay, can you, can you write this story for tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Like you just start. And, yep. and normally they also know that, of course, they know that you're new on the beat. So... Mm -hmm. They won't ask you to do the big political analysis, analysis or, in right. in three days. Right. What is usually good if if is if something big happens, so that you just have to have to work. And right. I remember in the fall of 2013, there was this big government shutdown in DC. Mm. Well, in 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 America, yeah. there was this. Yeah. So then, during those weeks, I learned all about how Congress and and budget voting how that yeah, works because right. you just have to and then you come marinated you sleep and you're awake with those you consume you consume news all the time and the, the my problem was that i almost stopped reading books because i i was i was a news consumer all the time did you and have hard copies drop into your into your mailbox every morning yes i of, had of, of uh, i had print new york times washington post wall street journal yep Those, so yeah. we had so much paper. <laughs> yeah. And of course, I never had time to read what I wanted to oh, read. Right. And then I ended up reading a lot of it online anyway. But mm -hmm. we did have the print. And I, I had some magazines too. Um, and then I think, and then there, you, you know, you have a time difference. So my, my, my day would start at, I went up, so you, I would work at home. I had a home office, which was great there, yep. because of the time difference. Because mm -hmm. when I wake up, if I woke up at six o'clock in the morning, it's six, it's twelve, it's noon in Sweden. Mm -hmm. So you have a six-hour time delay, which which makes it that you're you're a little bit in a hurry for mm -hmm. to write for print. Mm -hmm. So I would call my editor, hopefully get them before they went out off to lunch to kind of know if they wanted something so I could get started or or otherwise maybe when they came back from lunch yeah. and they of course they wouldn't know if I you know I just had to clear my throat and 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 sound as if I was wearing 
whatever. <laughs> right, right. Working clothes. I yeah. could be in my nightgown. I'm yeah, just yeah, yeah, you know, pajamas. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so <clears throat> uh, but the thing was also, this is also a big difference from, from maybe not the, the guy I replaced, but a couple of correspondents before me, they could call and they could tell the editors, oh, well, the New York Times writes today such and such. Mm -hmm. When I called, they had already read the New York Times headlines ah, because right. it was a, it's all online. Of course, yeah. And I think it changed a lot during the time I was there, the, during the four years I was there. Yes. And from, from the time that we went back to Sweden until now, the work has changed again. Even more. Because, because of, of how technology changes and how the website is updated and I would still do some news writing for the website. Yeah. Now our correspondents almost exclusively do commentary and feature. Yeah, I see. Right. Because the, 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 the actual news reporting is done from Stockholm. Because yeah. they can all also read they can kind of access all the yeah, they access it and they're expected to have a deeper understanding. Deep, what does yeah. this what does this mean? Right. What right. actually happens, you can get news bureau, or you can, yeah. which is wow. interesting. But then it also means the time difference also means that you might be very stressed in between in the morning hours, mm -hmm. but after lunch it's evening in Sweden. And unless something big happens that you have to update for, for the website or for print, your your phone is quiet in the afternoons, which is quite good because then you can use your time. I would be working anyway, of course, but you could do it independently, and you could. Do research for trips or whatever. Stories. You could do inter for stories. Yeah, yeah. You could do interviews with people, or mm -hmm. you can sit writing longer pieces that that has maybe had a deadline, you know, a couple of right. days after. So you got into a rhythm there. And then, of course, it's it was fantastic to cover the 2016 election. Uh, I was going to say the biggest media event of so far of the 20th cent or 21st century happened on your watch. Yes, <laughs> which was Trump. Which was Trump. Yeah, I mean that must have been like a whirlwind in a way, and it was a media whirlwind, yeah. and continues to be impacting all of media in a way. But at that time, talk about that. How did that impact you? I think it impacted me in, in that I, of course, it was a privilege to be able to, to go around and to, to spend a lot of time um, on watching the candidates, watching both, like, being on those big meetings and talking to, listening to Trump and talking to his voters or, or voters-to-be and, and hear what they had to say. And, and I think that also made, that's also what made me want to, wanted to write a book because I could tell by the questions I'd got from editors in Sweden sometimes they were the same questions that I, I had from neighbors on my street in liberal DC mm -hmm. um, things like well, how can they do they really believe his lies or right. how can they vote for him or how can he do this and that and I thought that was I could see where that came from but I thought it was more complicated than that because mm -hmm. you could also see where people in those all around America where they came from and where they and that's one of the reasons I really wanted to write a, a longer version of this that mm -hmm. people aren't stupid right um, you, you might think they are but they usually make decisions that they themselves think are totally rational from their perspective from their, of course right yep. it's not that they're unintelligent they just have a different perspective. Yes. Yeah. And I, it's something that I still do, that I started with, like now, uh, quite a few years ago, is asking everybody 
where do you get your information? And I do that as a routine to people in Sweden as well. Yeah. I, I ask that to ministers or ex-ministers or yep. so-called ministers, ordinary you mean, you mean, you Swedish mean minister poli- yeah, in yeah, politics. Yeah, you in mean, politics, yeah. yes. Congressman or, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I asked Carl Bildt, who yeah. is a former prime minister. I asked our editor-in-chief when I interviewed him on, on our podcast uh, right. that we have in, in at the newspaper. I asked people or like so-called ordinary people that I meet for for different reasons I mm-hmm. ask them because I think it's um it's one of the big questions of our time where do you get your information and how do you challenge yourself to enter into areas or 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 try to find information deliberately that you know are going to be contrary to your own opinion I think that's a challenge for all of us because exactly, uh, indeed um I should probably do it more often when it comes to Swedish media because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, I consume some Swedish media and then I go on, on American media because I still try to follow it a little and, and international media um, but I should myself I, I do I had more of a routine to do it in the US actually mm-hmm, to look at mm-hmm. uh, sources that I knew would not maybe have stories that were, were true but that you wanted to read because you want, also wanted to see how the news were portrayed not necessarily that everything is wrong that, that uh, it's written by some of the, those media but it's often mixed and it's the way it's, it's always a choice right? What you, what you put in there and what is left out and it's, here I try to, to check some of the websites that I don't go to for, for to know what's going on to see what's uh, how it's how it's been told to another audience it's hard. Yeah, it is hard. And I think in the, in, the, in the polity today, there is this kind of undercurrent now of commentary that I hear. Maybe my antennas are tuned that way, perhaps a little more than, than other people. I don't know. But I seem to pick up this, this narrative about, uh, again, back to the elite journalism, about the... This is a sort of a conter- conservative talking point almost now in the polity, which is that the political elites are, are, are detached from the people on the ground. You know, average Americans are, are no longer... And, and that, 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 that scenario is making um, people sort of resent the elites and... It seems to me now that the Republican Party in the United States has is gaining ground despite having a leader who who by almost all accounts cannot be regarded as a person that anyone really wants to have lead them but but the but the people in the United States on the on the in the on the democratic side I hear a lot of people say that they've lost their bearing they have they have actually it detached themselves even more by not recognizing that there was a reason for someone like Donald Trump to be Mm. elected Mm. and that Donald Trump again sort of despite himself Mm. people despite him people voted for him and and to sit down and really in all with all sort of due humility and self self analysis think about why was that rather than uh, in a sort of almost flippant way Consider these people, uh, like you just said, not worthy of consideration because they're so behind the veil. I think it's um, very important what you say, and I think it really also um, what, what the 
the election that Trump won the election has also it has had huge consequences uh, more than that he just won the election I think it, it put a, it has changed the political landscape and what happens in America in a way that I don't think anyone even I don't think people really expected and it's gone very far I think I think that the that that the first in 2016 when when so many American media and other media as well missed the whole what whatever that missed going out and asking meeting people that was mm-hmm. totally what you I'm, I'm totally with you there there was a lot of internal critique in newsrooms after that and they really tried to make something different for during the next election which I think also they did to some extent at least but I, I know going back to I went back to this small uh, town in the very western part of Virginia uh, in Bucks County no in Buchanan County it's called Grundy and it's um, in 2016 in the primary there I think they had one of the it was one of the places that had the highest votes for Trump and in the general election in, in 2016, I think 78% voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. And now in 2020, 83% voted for Trump or something like that. Yeah, like, uh, even more. Even yeah. more. Yeah. So they had huge support. And, and that's the thing with Trump. Like In 2016, you can still see that people maybe voted for him just to get something else. Mm-hmm. Just to get mm-hmm. not to vote. Just to do something other that they had never done before. In 2020, he got... Of course, he lost the election by a big margin, but he had more votes millions more votes mm-hmm. than he had in 2016. Right. And then people ex- knew exactly what they were voting for. I- I'm thinking about this also right now when I had uh, uh, I talked to the our current correspondent in France and we were talking about the extreme right in France where there's a big battle between uh, Marine Le Pen and Eric Zemmour who is even more to the extreme right. He's He's been convicted for for hate speech right mm-hmm. he's 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 ex- more extreme than Japan he's a Jewish man from from Algeria or Tunisia it's, right it's yeah. yes yes yeah. that background yeah. and and he attracts I think they have around 14 percent each in the poll and and we talked about who what, about the candidates and I and and we talked about how to cover these types of elections and I said to my to my colleague you know I think what's most interesting here is is what is it that people see in them? Why do they? Why do they have that? You have to go out, go out and and ask people why would they even think about voting for one or the other instead of focusing too much on their style in the debates or whatever they or what they what outrageous things they say. Go out and and ask what is it that what's the soil mm-hmm. where those types of things can grow? Because I think that's what what they missed in, in the US and I think that's what we might miss here as well if we I mean I don't think Sweden is there because it's not an the US is so the inequality there is so big and I think and here too now. and here too more now and but more and more, yeah. more and more but not at all like in the US no, and no. I think I talk I, I interviewed um, do you know the world value survey mm-hmm. it's a it's a big one of the biggest social scientists projects that I think that is done in the world. They've surveyed, I think, around 100 countries over 40 years and asked people about their values. And then they can put them together and they can draw a lot of super interesting conclusions about that. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm writing this art series of articles on democracy. And I was talking to one of the people who has created um, what they call a cultural map, where you put in, you, you aggregate the, the values, and you can see different types of values and 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 what type, if whatever promotes democracy and what doesn't promote democracy. And it's pretty clear what kinds of values they they talk about. Emancipatory values mm-hmm. versus more patriarchal and traditional values. Go and go back to the Enlightenment, really, but you know, to see the the individual's right to have a choice and to to self autonomy, etc. But that comes down to you know how people view divorce and abortion and um, gender equality, and, and so your views on those topics often also can tell whether you are more or less likely to support an autocratic ruler. But of course those types of values, if you won't have an open mind to yourself and to other people and to solidarity, unless unless your primary you know, sense of security is is safe, right? If you don't if, so if you feel threatened, if you don't, if you lack opportunity yourself, you're less likely to to see that as a right. And I think that's what they, that what he told me also was that they have looked at the median and the and the medians and the and the middle whatever, and see that that value or or more and more people will subscribe to to the emancipatory values, but they missed. The outliers. They missed that there was a. They missed polarization. They missed that there was a big group that didn't really follow here, and 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 he himself said, you know, that's that's the Midwest or that's the the countryside and in the U.S. That's where a lot of those votes are and a lot of these people are that they and, and for a good reason that they missed out on on they 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 don't like the globalization. They don't like free trade. They don't like same-sex marriage. They don't like abortion right. and what consequences that has in the long run and if you're unemployed and if you don't see that and if your kids don't get a good school and if you don't see that you have a free choice really you're more likely to look for for a strong leader and now when we have we're in in times of change uh, the the secretary general of another democratic or democratic institute called IDEA, um, he said that one of the reasons that we see so many right-winged autocrats coming up right now in this time when democracy is declining across the globe, and we don't see revolutionary left-winged uh, leaders that might become autocrats after having come into power, but we see more of right-wing. He explained it with that in times of change, with technological change, with um, immigration, with maybe job loss, economical change, people maybe look for stability rather than revolution. So they're more likely to go to the right because of, of the conservative side is more more well-known for providing stability and tradition. And I think that there might be something to that, that mm-hmm. you don't look for more 
uh, more change if you right. feel threatened by right. all the changes right. you see around. And then you see, then you add to that the cultural, uh, like you mentioned, some of the social cultural issues that are f flying in the face yes. of a traditional person. Yes. Certainly with Christian values that are so much more, or Christianity, I should say, not just the values uh, that are much more common in the United States with, with people being much more... Um, religious than they are here in Sweden. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I think that what's happened after Trump is also, of course, the change, the total change in the Republican Party that has become totally Trumpian. Um, if Trump is the next candidate or not, they mm -hmm. have the choice between power and democracy, they will choose power, right? Yeah. That's what we see with all the changes in voting rights law and voting rights laws and, and electoral laws mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. And uh, how they, uh, everything from gerrymandering to uh, to um, harassment of election officials to restrictions on different types of IDs and, and polling places and mm -hmm. mailing voting. And there, I mean, there are hundreds of them being proposed, and some of them have uh, have gone through. I think that's that's a big battleground. So, and I don't think that would have been possible. Without Trump, what do you pre what do you predict now? I think that um, well, in I, terms of growth of, of I mean, because now they if you if you watch the uh, the Republican uh, um, machine coming out with their messages now, they are kind of vying for being the new working class party in America, the part the party of the working people. Um, what do you predict? It's hard. I haven't been there for a while now, but I think. Uh, I think you probably know this much better than I do, but I think it's so interesting. But I, uh, they have, um, I mean, the Democrats have, I think, uh, also a big challenge. I mean, it was it's easy to have a common enemy, and then there's this big tent. And yeah. the I think after having interviewed many people, also like so-called experts and experts. I mean, not so-called. I guess they're experts, but professors and and. Um, Whatever, very people who follow things very closely, you often hear that it would be good if if the U.S. had a multi-party system that, that would mm -hmm. change th things. But it, you you don't really see that happening. You can't. It's very hard for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So that makes the big the big parties like big tents and or big coalitions. And I think Biden isn't doing all that well. I mean, he does have problems himself. Yes, yes. So I think that weakness can easily be exploited by mm -hmm. Republicans. And I think it's only been done like once or twice since the World War that that in a midterm election, the party in power gains places. I think it was probably George, George W. Bush, I think, did. Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, it's something also that one of the professors I spoke with on democracy, they said, well, you know, Democracy is really a lot of people subscribe would would like it. They subscribe to it. They they want it. They the the case for democracy is very good. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not really the external threat, but democracy, he said, has to prove that it can reform itself and deliver to people, right? Uh, and solve their problems, their everyday problems, because because if it can't then people will start looking for something else. And I think that's very true. And I think that's also what you see, even if you have a, a complicated media landscape in the US and, and a lot of, like a total 
it's not even fringe anymore, but so much disinformation and people believe like there's so much conspiracy theory, conspiracy theories and all the things that that so many Republicans don't believe that that Biden really won the election and mm-hmm. you lose trust in the democratic institutions and you have and that came very very quickly after the election oh, it's... and like instantly and and even more people now than after January 6 happened believe that in certain cases political violence can be okay mm-hmm. uh, but right. I, sometimes I try to this is what I try to do also, right? If you really believe that the election was stolen, if you really believe that, mm-hmm. like what would you and I do if we really believe that somebody else took power then won the actually won the election? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't I go up to parliament and 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 protest? I, I mean, of course, I, I wouldn't would, break in. No, I, would I wouldn't abs- break. I wouldn't no. break in. But it. I mean, I would, I would probably go there yeah. and protest. Yeah. I would protest, and to be and to be clear, I would protest, and I would I would, with that protest, I would hope that my protest would result in legal action. That's, yes. That's how the how the system should work yes. with the separation yes. of powers. Yes. And so that's what we have to appeal to, and I. Of course, pray. I'm sure you do, and many many others do, that we don't get into a situation where we're actually dismantling democracy. Because now there are people on both sides that are talking about not accepting the results of an election before it has even happened. Mm. Yeah. This is really dangerous territory. Don't you agree? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> very much. So I don't know. I think, and I don't think that a lot of people are aware of what's of how how these things work and I think I, I totally agree with you that I think that Republicans have have a good path to doing well in the midterms yeah and then it would be interesting of course to see what Trump does uh, and it's always interesting to follow what Mitch McConnell does I think. Yeah. Is, or do you feel that you were in part there a little bit of an ambassador for Sweden um, yes and no I mean of course I would talk about Sweden every now and then, but I wouldn't feel that I had to... Not an obligation, exactly. No, 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 no. not at all. (laughs) Try to make, to explain what Sweden, what kind of country Sweden is. Right, right. So are there, there, were there there any uh, particular stories that you felt very good about, that were, you, you were super happy about having been able to accomplish this particular story when you were in D.C.? Wow. I always know all the stories I didn't do that I still would like to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, um, what am I happy about? I'm happy that I did some of the stories of the Trump voters and that I went back to Grundy actually three times. Um, it's always great to be back and I think it's underrated as a journalistic tool to go back to people and to go back to places. One thing that is, I think that we have written too little about in Sweden and still um, is on um, is on the opioid epidemic and I did a big story on that I'm glad we did that in, in I think, Ohio I think they complain about that um, within the United States media as well that that's been undercovered yes yeah. it's undercovered uh, so when, when another curious I'm curious about how you of course during you know, all the activities and all the news items that were generated due to Trump's presidency, not just the news, but also all the sort of scandalous statements and 
there was a frenzy sort of of, 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 of journalism around him. And I'm sure you were busy with that because the same thing happened in Sweden. People loved to read about Trump. He had a huge amount of uh, space in Swedish newspapers as well. Um, but so those were news items and those were things that you wrote maybe one day and two days and you wrote something else. And, but underneath that, you were also running shows, I mean, stories that you were working on for two or three weeks, perhaps. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, sometimes you were doing more in-depth analysis and investigation. Yeah, it was all. We would always go, always do both, and you learn after a while to um, to enjoy having a day off. That's not when it's slow and nothing happens where you are, because in the U.S. things happen all the time. Mm -hmm. But it would be when something huge happened in another part of the world. So the newsroom in Sweden would be totally absorbed in some other kind of crisis or big, big unfolding event. Mm -hmm. And they would not call me or they would say, no, 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 there's no room for no, no interest or no room. So that's when you would have, uh, after a while, you learn how to use that time and like say, okay, let's, let's have a half day off or mm -hmm. let's do something else. And, um, but I think I, I would discuss with my editor what stories to do, where to travel, um, or if we got maybe an interview in some other state to, to find other types of stories that could be done in the same, uh, on the same trip. And then we worked sometimes slowly um, on, on to put in requests for interviews with higher up people, which are often very difficult to get when you're a small Swedish in them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they generally wouldn't give them to us. I had an interview with Samantha Power, um, but that was after I, I moved back to Sweden. I actually, I, I went to cover the Nobel banquet. I've done that a few times here, here in Stockholm. Yeah. And at, at that banquet once, I think that must have been in 2018, uh, I saw Samantha Power, and she uh -huh. was here, I think, because her husband was invited. To the Nobel Be party? Yes, uh -huh. to the Nobel party, because I think he was a colleague of the Nobel Prize winner in economy or something. Ah, okay. You know, so they were invited. So I, I saw her, and I had wanted to talk to her before. And I saw her on, on the floor before the dinner, before everybody got seated. And I, I said to myself, I just have to walk up to her and just say something, just come up with something, you know. <laughs> so I walked up and I said, well, you know what, I introduced myself and I can't even remember what I said. And we spoke for maybe 30 seconds and she was very nice. And then she asked me to, to, to adjust her zipper in, in the back because <laughs> nice. she couldn't do it herself. And she said, my husband is so bad at this. Can you please? <laughs> oh, good. And so we had a small kind of contact. Connection, that's nice. Yes. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, I said, I have to use this in some way. And I sat at home with my computer and I Googled her and I Googled, tried to see where she was. And she, she was then, I think she's at Harvard at the Kennedy School. Uh -huh, yeah. And I found an email address and I emailed straight to her. And she replied in like oh, 15 wow. minutes. And I said, I'm such and such. And I'm the reporter, I helped with, with, with your zipper. And she replied. And I said, by the way, can, can we talk? You know, can we get an interview? And she said, well, you know, I'm pretty busy with this and that. But maybe there's this film coming up that I'm in. It was a documentary on, I think, Obama's last, uh, uh, whatever, 100 yeah. days or something. Yeah. And I actually got an interview after a while. Then uh. she, of course, she, she pulled in whatever. She had a press contact or whatever. So it wasn't right. done totally on... 
but it couldn't it wouldn't have happened unless I had done this done this first right, little right, thing right. and then we had it you know you get maybe 20 minutes so you don't get a lot of time but we had it's still nice, enough you, nice. you get something things like that is kind of you you never you never you're always you're always on duty right yeah, you have yeah. to, to work you know Sana, you wrote you wrote you know, another book, and it's called Superpower. Yes. And it's another book, really, about the United States. Yes. Just what the elevator pitch for that book is and was. Well, it was interesting because Frida Stranne, who is um, Stranne, that's right. That's yes. a that's a name from Smurgen, yes. the West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> she is. She lives in Halmstad. Uh huh. Um, and she is. Uh, she's one of the few, I think. Um, academics who really focuses on, on U.S. politics, on U.S. foreign policy. Mm-hmm. She did a PhD on um, on American foreign policy. I think after, I think post-war. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so she is often in in she's often quoted in the media as a U.S. expert. And she asked me, and we had met once or twice in D.C. because she had a she was there for a few months then. At, I think she was at American University doing some exchange um, and de- doing some postdoc or whatever. And then she asked me if I wanted to do a book with her. It's called Superpower and then it's called What Every Swede Should Know About America. So we have combined uh, in chapters kind of hard things and soft things. We try to explain a little bit behind the scenes. She spent a lot of time in the US and we what 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 happened was that we found that when we talked about the US we always had the same kind of observations. We said, yeah, you know, yes, I've seen that as well. And why mm-hmm. do why do most people see it this way? Why do most people see it that way? So in this book we both explain like the 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 most common questions like what is it what is this thing with with weapons that 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 is like Americans and weapons. Why is this mm-hmm. such a big thing? Mm-hmm. Like the whole Second Amendment thing. And we explain, for example, how how the Supreme Court works or how the political system works. Um, but we also go into things like that the socials and how you can meet for a while, like different types of cultures when it comes to inviting people home to your place and have dinner. Because mm-hmm. like, you would see that happens in in, in totally different ways, um, and this this thing that many Swedes at least say about Americans is so shallow. You know, they're super friendly, but they're what is it? Can you really be friends with them, or are they, why are they always <laughs> smiling? They talk and they and, have a and nice but, day. yeah, and yeah. have a nice day. And how are you? What, what do you mean? How are you? <laughs> right. what, 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 what does that mean? Yeah. So we try to go into. Um, into those things and what is it with Americans in sports and why is how what what role what kind of role does sport play in, in American society that doesn't play here mm-hmm. so we had a lot of fun writing that book together actually we it's 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 a totally other process than doing it on your own we hope to give something to people that doesn't know a lot about America but also to the ones that do uh, and what, we got what, pretty much yeah. re- a what lot of reactions do you think that now, or yeah, now and maybe in the past, that that the news coverage of the United States has been out of proportion, or just kind of talk about that a little bit? I think that's a common thing we get from readers, actually, that uh-huh. we overemphasize the United States, that we um, 
And I think that editors sometimes kind of have to pull in the reins a little and uh, and give other continents some room. Um, at the same time, you know, in 2018, we wrote, we were actually, we were writing about this in The Superpower. In 2018, um, if you count the number of times that our Swedish prime minister and the opposition leader in Sweden in, in, in 20, in, in, yes uh-huh. if you count the, the number of times that those names are mentioned in Swedish media mm-hmm. in 2018 yeah. that's an election year in Sweden yeah. it's still smaller than the number of times that Trump is mentioned yeah. which says something it's pretty remarkable yeah yeah uh, it also says something, of course, about media logic, because Trump is somebody you can... If you want traffic to your website or to certain articles, you can write the story on Trump. Right. Because people read it. Yeah. Um, but it says something that th- there's this enormous interest, like disproportionately big interest for for the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For understandable reasons. I think we sometimes... This was also a point that Frida and I wanted to make, that... Because so many Swedes go to the U.S., so many Swedes travel, consume, the tra- travel mm-hmm. yeah. go there for business, for vacation, and a lot of Swedes, most be- Swedes speak English mm-hmm. reasonably well, and we th- we consume so much of American culture. Yep. But sometimes I think we think that we're closer to the U.S. than we actually are. That there are so fundamental differences from you know this so well as mm-hmm. you lived there for yeah, so long. Yeah. But there's this fundamental difference in, in how how people see themselves and, and their country from, from Swedes and how they see the state. Uh, that's I think that's really fundamental and I think that's very interesting and I think of course the United States being such a the, the only real, I mean we have, of course China and and Russia even if Russia is an economically small country it's very powerful especially right now but mm-hmm. the United States is such a great power and with such huge global influence of course we have to report on what happens there yeah, yeah. but that we should report on what happens in every single state and follow the, the elections in every single yeah. state that's not really relevant but it's also you can also tell that so many Swedish journalists are very interested in yeah, in American yeah, politics yeah. so that's also of course reflects on what is reported we, we love it Exactly. If my my personal experience is that if, when I'm here in, at home, strangers, like here in this bar, if I start talking to someone and they ask me, where do you live? And I say, I live in California. There is the reaction from most Swedes are absolutely, in my opinion, one of, oh, really? Oh, and they just like their eyes open up and they really want to hear because there's this romantic notion oh, yes. about America. Still. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and it is a fantastic place. You yeah. get everything there, and everything is so kind of extreme. And if I if I say something about being a reporter there, it's okay. You don't get the biggest, most powerful people because they're not interested in you. You, right. you don't even. I mean, don't bother even putting in a request for an interview with. Or unless you're what the the, the what is the biggest. Yeah, I mean, you, yes, exactly. If you're the Guardian, or if yeah, you're Guardian, like right. the, the the big the big, or if you're the BBC, or. Yeah. or you, Maybe. Yeah, right. you don't. You don't really get it. You. Yeah. Um, but what's fantastic in the U.S. is that if you go out, people talk. 
And Americans are usually, even if they, that's also was also a good thing being a foreign journalist because even the Trump supporters who said they hated all the media and the liberal media especially and and all the journalists were scum. Yes, yeah. and if you said, well, you know, I'm from Sweden and I I try to do a good 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 reporting, maybe you can, you know, and then they could use that little thing as an excuse to talk because they like talking yeah, right. and most people you know most people like to talk about themselves yeah and people rarely get questions about themselves like who are you and yeah. people like, well yeah. do you ask about little me <laughs> yeah. well oh, yeah. of course well where did yeah. i grew up but you know come on i'll show you the barn um and <laughs> over here i show you the barn yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know whatever they, yeah, yeah. they want to share things sure. from their lives yeah. Yeah. and and many americans most americans they have an opinion about things and sometimes if you do a Q&A or a Vox Pop in Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of Swedes would say, no, you know, I don't, I don't want to participate in this or I don't, no, I don't think anything about this or, right. you know, they're shy yeah. or if they say a good quote and you ask them their name and if you ask if you can take a photo, they would say, no, 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 my name, no, no, no thanks. <laughs> and a photo, no, no, I don't want to be in a picture. Whereas in America, especially women, that's why it's so hard to get women because they say no right. so I urge every woman like say yes and participate in America everybody says yes of course no problem <laughs> and they have always have this they even have this smile that they probably were taught in school how to smile on a photo so right. they have this and sometimes you have to cut out people from from what you actually write because they, they have an opinion but they you can tell that they have no clue about what they're talking about but they do have an opinion right. but it's so it's great to travel around because it's easy to get in touch with people and they talk mm-hmm. and and they often invite you to their homes mm-hmm. in a very generous way I love that really the, the two the two books superpower and and the, the things we have in common are similar in the sense that they are they are viewing America from a Swedish perspective both of them correct yeah and I would be curious to hear if there have been Americans who have read Superpower. Yeah, uh, yeah. Americans in Sweden. Right. Uh, because it's written in Swedish. Right, right. So, uh, but we have had Americans read it in Sweden. And, and we had some people, Americans, read certain chapters before we were, before, as, as editor. As a, yeah, yeah, as, yeah. A, as a peer review almost yeah, before it was yeah, published. Yeah. That was wow. extremely helpful. All of those readings were extremely helpful. It yeah. seems then, to me that, that it would be of interest to, to Americans to, to read that book, to hear what someone in Sweden thinks would be the most important things that Swedes would know about America, <laughs> right? I think it's, fun. it's probably fun to read. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I would be interested to read yeah. the, 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 the reverse. reverse yes. yeah, yeah. We were thinking about um, doing a second... Uh, edition of it because mm-hmm. even though it's it's been only a year and a half since it came out so much has happened right uh, to give it another boost yeah we'll see yeah, we'll see that Sana yes I, you know we can sit here for several hours <laughs> we, I can say also in, into the microphone that you and I are sitting on this kind of rather uh, comfortable voluptuous red couch <laughs> <laughs> yes with our feet in the air with no shoes on in this bar with, with no shoes on right thank you for inviting me no thank you so what what is what is, what um, um what things when you thought of talking with me about your time in dc and specifically about your relationship i mean your relationship to the united states is is so significant compared to 
obviously any, any almost anyone else uh, because of um, both your professional and private interest in the country and blah 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 but what 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 did you think that you what did you want to talk about if anything specifically I think what we talked about I think you brought up a lot of things that I I uh, think are important and that I think are significant I think you um pretty much spot on I think I what I I I really want to go back there as soon as I can uh, after COVID we're you may be going in in June right uh, on vacation and I hope to go there on on I have a I got a grant for a couple of years ago from a journalistic fund to go there for to a project to do a, a project for two three weeks mm-hmm. to study uh, the politicization of, of the court system in America Ooh, so that's interesting, and that's and then a big one. Uh, it's a big one, I know. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to do it after after COVID kind of uh, slowed down, and it was and it's possible to travel freely and to do interviews in in real, uh, not via Zoom, but to actually meet people. Yeah. But I think that might be possible pretty soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. A group of people and like going in in icy water like winter bathing oh, okay. has back become up, a back big up, thing back up because microphone is on here Sana you, I hear that you Last you thing. did a very Swedish thing yesterday what did, or was it today yesterday yes yes. so describe it for us <laughs> well um, in Sweden not least uh, over the pandemic it's been a huge trend for people to go winter bathing <laughs> it's it's something that people do I mean it's a thing but it's grown exp- it's it's a it's been a huge thing that wow. people go out and, and I've never been a winter bather. Right. But there's a small group of people at my work, and and the newsroom is very close to in Stockholm. Stockholm is a beautiful city being built on islands. I know exactly where you go. to so, Holm and probably the, the, no, but Smelsoden across, right, so close to yeah. close to where the newsroom is. By the Russian embassy. Right? Yes, below uh, there? yes, yeah. below the embassy, yeah. below the Russian embassy. They actually, it's interesting because the biggest newspaper. Well, the newsroom is across. From from the Russian embassy, right? Um, and there you can actually go in the water. So in the summers we go down at lunch, at our lunch break. We go in and have a uh, have a quick swim, and then we go back on the right when the water is reasonably yes, warm. Yes, yeah. when the water is yeah. warm. And now there is this small group of, of of colleagues that go. They have done this a project. They did last year, and they I think continuing this year to go in the water at least once a month. <laughs> and there's this one one woman there. She's she's also a, we're all journalists, and she stays in the water for 90 seconds. She has gloves on and a hat, and she stands there and she counts to 90 slow. But that's dangerous. No, I think no. She feels no? fine. Okay. I I go in and out. I'm in in the water for like a second, right. literally a second. And the other yeah, we, we're, the others are, are very quick. And we did that yesterday. And wow. I put it out. I put out a, a now, photo now on you Facebook. Have, we have to have to explain also that when you go into the water, there is actually ice in the water. And you sort of go in through a hole in the ice, almost correct? Yeah, that was kind of, yeah. It yeah. was icy. Yeah. Yes, it yeah. was pretty icy. So it's about as cold as the water can get. Yes, it's yeah. very cold. But you get very, you get very, uh, you get like a kick out of it. Yes. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> How long, how far have you now got to get home? I forget now, you live, you live 12 uh, minutes away? No, I'm going to go to Järet. Järet, yeah, it's nice then. <laughs>